You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, I, I, I know I've shared this, this lame preacher's joke with you uh, before, probably a hundred different times before. And so I know that you've heard the one about the guy who, who went to the barber shop to get a shave. But when he got there, the, the, the barber was sick, so his wife was filling in for him. Now, her name was Grace. So the guy sat down. She gave him a shave. Afterwards, she, she, she put some lavender oil on him and sent him off. Well, a week later, his face was still silky smooth. In fact, two weeks later, it was still smooth. In fact, two whole months later, his face was still baby skin smooth. So he goes back to the barber shop and he's like, he's like, hey, I don't know what just happened. I mean, I mean, it's been two whole months and I still haven't had to shave. I mean, my face is as smooth today as it was the first day that you shaved it. What did you do? And she smiled and she said, well, you were shaved by grace. And once shaved, always shaved. Now, the reason I share that, that lame preacher's joke with you for now the 101st time is because the key word in this morning's passage is the word grace. Actually, it's the Hebrew word chesed. And it's translated in this morning's passage a few different times as the word kindness, but this word kindness or chesed in in the Hebrew is also translated grace. And that's the title of our message this morning. I like how Skip Heidzik put it when he said, 2 Samuel chapter 9 is the purest illustration of grace and the greatest illustration of the gospel in the Old Testament. And so this morning, here in chapter 9, we see that as as David gives undeserved kindness and undeserved grace to a man with with an unpronounceable name, his name was Mephibosheth, uh, we, we, we see really this is a picture of the undeserved grace and kindness that God gives to us. So now as we go back now and look at the first four verses once again, we now meet an undeserving outcast. Verse 1 says again, And David said, Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And and the king answered and said, Is there still not someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There still is a, a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Now, as we read this, let's kind of keep the background in mind, the context in mind. Now, you may remember all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, we we saw that that, that David's best, best friend, Jonathan, who is King Saul's son, Jonathan discovers that that his dad, King Saul, is hell-bent on murdering David, on destroying David. So Jonathan goes and warns David. And then he tells him, he says, listen, David, I know that one day you're going to be the next king of Israel. Not me. I'm not the next in line. God's chosen you to be the next king. But he says, David, listen, when that day comes, when you sit on the throne, when, when you get crowned as the king, I want you to promise me, in fact, more than promise, I want you to take a solemn oath. I want you to vow to me that you will show kindness to my house, to my descendants. Now, here's what that's about. Remember, in those days, it was, it was common practice that whenever a new king uh, w- w- would take over the throne, the new king w- w- would, would wipe out all of the descendants of the previous king, all of the, uh, of the relatives and, and, and children of the previous king. Why? 
Well, you would wipe out anyone who would try to make a claim for the throne. So that was a common practice. And so on that note, Jonathan's like, listen, David, you're going to become the next king, and, 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 and I don't want you to, to follow the common practice. I don't want you to wipe out my family. In fact, I want you to vow and promise that you'll spare my family. You'll, you'll let my family live. You'll, you'll show kindness to my family. So now years later, David's on the throne. He's become the king, and evidently he's been on the throne for quite some time when all of a sudden he remembers his promise to Jonathan. So now he summons Ziba, who evidently was, was a servant of Saul and Saul's household, Saul's family. And, and, and he says, is, it, is there anyone in Saul's family, anyone in Saul's household who's still alive? You know, is there anyone alive that I can still keep my promise to Jonathan to? Is there anyone I can show kindness, not because they earned it, not because they deserved it, not because of their own sake, their own merit, but rather for Jonathan's sake? And you may remember a few weeks ago, back in chapter 4, we kind of had a sneak preview to this. Remember back in chapter 4, we, 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 we were told that, that when Mephibosheth was five years old, back in chapter 4, uh, that, that's, that's when his nanny, his nurse, gets, get, gets report that, that Saul and Jonathan are killed in the battlefield. And, and now she fears that whoever killed Saul and Jonathan are going to come from Mephibosheth. Because again, the common practice was to wipe out all of the king's descendants. So now she grabs Mephibosheth and she flees. But in the process, evidently she trips, she stumbles, she falls, she drops him. And now he is permanently damaged, permanently crippled from that point on. And so now with that in mind, now Ziba responds and he answers and says, well, there still is a son of Jonathan, but, but he's crippled in his feet. I like the way Greg Laurie put it in his commentary. Greg Laurie says, Ziba appears to be saying there is someone, king, but, but you may want to reconsider your offer. You see, this young man is disabled. Now listen, you have to understand that the ancient world was very, very cruel when it came to how they treated the disabled. In fact, let me just give you an example by way of illustration. In, in the, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, for example, they valued absolute physical perfection so much so that those with disabilities were, were considered as outcasts and rejects. In, in fact, in, in the ancient world, children born with severe disabilities were, were often just left out in the cold to die. In fact, Aristotle had said, quote, it should be the law not to allow any handicapped child to live. That's how the ancient world viewed this. In fact, even the Jews, uh, the rabbis viewed that, that, that handicapped children were a punishment from God which is why one rabbi bragged about he threw, how, how he would throw rocks at those with leprosy anytime he saw them, and he, and he said that others should follow his example. So now it's with that cultural understanding in mind that, that many believe that perhaps Ziba held sort of a, a, a prejudiced view toward the disabled, toward the handicapped, in particular toward Mephibosheth. Now, by the way, Mephibosheth, and that's how it's pronounced. It's, it, I know it's spelled Mephibosheth, but it's, it's pronounced Mephibosheth. And by the way, that's probably a nickname. Now, there's two reasons I say it's a nickname. Number one, because First uh, Chronicles chapter 8, verse 34. Write that down. First Chronicles chapter 8, verse 34. Tells us that his birth name was not Mephibosheth, but rather his birth name was Mary Baal. So that's the first reason this is probably a nickname, because his birth name was Marie Baal. 
That's number one. But then number two, the reason it's probably a nickname is because the name Mephibosheth is a Hebrew name that means shameful breath. Now listen, can you imagine naming your kid bad breath? Hey, this is my son, Halitosis. We just call him Hal for short. Now this name, Mephibosheth, you know, shameful breath, uh, it, it probably, many believe it probably just means he had, he had asthma or, or some other chronic lung disease, some, 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 something that caused him a, a difficulty in breathing, which by the way is why many people believe that that might be the reason that the nanny had to carry him when he was five years old. That, that, that he couldn't run, he couldn't flee for his life because he had this chronic lung disorder, he had this asthma or whatever it was, something, some breathing difficulty that, that he wouldn't have been able to run, so she had to carry him, she trips, he falls, and we know the rest of the story. So now he's been hiding out in this place called Lo Debar. Now Lo Debar, it's two words, Lo means no, and Debar means pasture land. No pasture land. And so the picture is that Mephibosheth has been hiding out in obscurity in a barren, desolate wasteland for years and years. Why? Well, because he believes that David, the new king, wants him dead. Because again, that was the common practice. The new king would wipe out all of the descendants of the old king, the previous king. So Mephibosheth has been, have been hiding out in, in obscurity, hiding out in the desert, but little does he know, David doesn't want him dead. David wants to show him kindness. In fact, as we pick it up in verses 5 through 8, we now have some lessons from David's undeserved kindness. Verse 5. Then King David sought and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered and said, Gulp. Uh, behold, uh, 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 I, I'm, I'm your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage, and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? So now we can all picture this scene, right? I mean, David's royal entourage, they show up on the scene and are like, are you Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan? The king would like to have a word with you. And, and in that moment, no doubt, Mephibosheth's thinking, oh boy, this is it. I'm done. You know, I'm a, I'm a dead man. I mean, this is my last day on planet Earth. And so you can imagine his surprise when he hears David say, Mephibosheth, listen, I, 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 I do not fear. I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Now, we can't blame Mephibosheth for responding and saying, you know, what is your servant that you should show regard for such a dead dog like me? Now, by the way, that, that phrase, dead dog, it, it's, a, it's a Hebrew figure of speech. Keep in mind, in the Middle East, even to this day in modern times, in the Middle East, dogs are often considered unclean. They're considered vile. And so it's kind of a Hebrew figure of speech. It was a way of saying that, that you were vile. It's a way of describing yourself as, a, as an embarrassing piece of garbage, an embarrassing piece of trash. 
And so even though that's how Mephibosheth saw himself, he saw himself as vile, he saw himself as disgusting, he saw himself as, a, as an embarrassing piece of trash, David nevertheless says, you know what, Mephibosheth, I'm going to show you kindness, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but, but because of your father's sake. And on top of that, you will get to sit at my table always. And in many ways, the way that David treated Mephibosheth is really a picture of the way that God treats us. In fact, we see that in at least three different ways. Number one, we, we see that, that, that David was giving undeserved love, undeserved kindness, undeserved grace to Mephibosheth, not because he earned it, but rather because of his covenant with Jonathan, his father. And in the same way, God gives undeserved grace and kindness to us, not because we've deserved it, not because we earn it, but because of his son's sake, the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. And then secondly, we see that Mephibosheth was born into the family of Saul. Now remember, Saul, because he rejected God, uh, because he disobeyed God, ultimately Saul was rejected by God. But not only was Saul rejected by God, Saul's family was rejected by God. So Mephibosheth had the unfortunate uh, privilege of being born into the wrong family, born into the family of Saul. And as a result, he was born into a rejected family. And in the same way, listen, the Bible says that you and I, we were born into the family of Adam and Eve. And because they sinned, we were born into sin. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Mephibosheth was born into the rejected family of Saul. We were born into the sinful family of Adam and Eve. And then finally, we see that, that David was the one who sought out Mephibosheth. Listen, Mephibosheth wasn't searching for David. In fact, if anything, Mephibosheth was, was hiding. He was running from David. Why? Because he was convinced that David was out to destroy him, that David was out to kill him. When in fact, David didn't want to kill him. David wanted to show him undeserved kindness. And in the same way, listen, we didn't find Jesus. He found us. Luke 19.10 says, He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so ultimately, the way David treats Mephibosheth gives us some lessons on how God treats us. But now as we pick it up in verses 9 and 10, we see the tables get turned. Verse 9, Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that has belonged to Saul and to his household I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. <laughs> this is a little poetic justice, right? I mean, if it's true that, that Ziba was, was prejudiced uh, towards those who, who, who were disabled, prejudiced towards those who were handicapped, in particular, if it was true that he was prejudiced towards Mephibosheth, and if it was true that he was saying, you know, David, listen, you, you can't show that guy grace. You can't show that guy kindness. I mean, after all, he's handicapped. I mean, I mean that would be a bad look. If all of that's true, now it's as if 
David turns the tables on Ziba. And he's like, hey, Ziba, guess what? You and all your servants and your 15 sons, all of you are now going to be Mephibosheth's servants. He's not going to serve you. You're going to serve him. And ultimately, I think this reminds us of ultimately God's heart for the disabled. You know, it reminds me uh, of, of a story in Luke chapter 14. And as the story goes, Jesus was invited to dinner at the house of a Pharisee. And, and yet it was kind of a setup because at the house there was someone who was disabled and, and the Pharisees, they knew Jesus' heart. They knew that he'd want to heal this guy. In fact, that's, that's what they were counting on. It was the Sabbath and it was illegal to heal on the Sabbath. And so they're just waiting to jump on him, to pounce on him. So with that in mind, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, it says, then he turned to his host and said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, do not invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward instead. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And so ultimately, we, ultimately we see the heart of the Lord. The heart of the Lord is as he invites the poor. He invites the crippled, the lame, and the blind. He invites those uh, who, who no one else would invite. And, and ultimately, I believe that that's what God is looking for today. He's looking for those who have a heart like his. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we see that the Lord is searching the earth to and fro, looking for any that would have a heart like his. Likewise, Jeremiah chapter 5, we see that Jeremiah goes up and down the streets to see if he can find even one person with a heart like God's. And then ultimately, when God sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to find the one who would be the next king of Israel, we were told that he wasn't looking for, 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 for a replacement for Saul, for somebody who was tall, dark, and handsome. He wasn't looking for someone who would win the hearts of the people. Rather, he was looking for someone who had a heart after God. And that's what God found in David. In fact, Acts chapter 13, verse 22, God says, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And I believe that's what God's looking for today. We see the heart of God. He has a heart for the lost, the heart for the weak. And that was the same heart displayed in David here as he now turns the tables on Ziba. And now as we pick it up in verses 11 to the end of the chapter, we see that now Mephibosheth, now that the tables have been turned, now Mephibosheth comes to the king's banquet table of grace. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. So now verse 11 tells us, in fact, this phrase is actually repeated four different times in this chapter, but verse 11 tells us that Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like he was one of the king's sons. And so ultimately, we see that David brought Mephibosheth out of, out of the barren place, ultimately to the king's banquet table. Reminds us of that line in, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, He's brought me to his banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. And so 
David brings them in. And he not only brings them in, he not only has them eat at the table, but it's, it, it distinctly says he ate at the table of the king like he was one of the king's sons. It's as if David had adopted Mephibosheth into his own family. Now, just like I said at the beginning, David's undeserved kindness and grace towards Mephibosheth is really a picture of the undeserved grace and the undeserved kindness that God gives to us. And just as, 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 as David adopted Mephibosheth, the Bible says God adopted us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And then there's Galatians 3.26 that says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. And then finally, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The way David treated Mephibosheth reminds us of how God treats us. And so from this this morning, we, we find at least two lessons. We find, a, we find a lesson from Mephibosheth, and we find a lesson from David. Now, number one, first of all, Mephibosheth reminds us that there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor. Again, Mephibosheth received David's kindness. He received David's grace, not for his own sake, but rather for the sake of his father, Jonathan. And in the same way, you and I have received God's grace, not because of our own sake, not because we deserved it, but for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. I bring this up because, you know, you and I, we, we meet people all the time who are convinced that like, like there's some kind of point system to get to heaven. You know, we meet people all the time who are like, you know, I'm basically a good person. You know, and I, I believe that, you know, as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll be good enough to go to heaven. I think Mark Twain was right when he said, however, heaven goes, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would be out and your dog would be in. Listen, according to the Bible, there's no such thing as a good person. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And so when people are like, you know, I'm basically a good person. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm, I might have told a fib here and there. You know, I, I might have ran a red light. You know, I might have had some road rage once or twice. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's not like I've ever murdered anyone. I mean, compared to Hitler, I'm a good person. But again, there's no point system to get to heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works. And so Mephibosheth reminds us that there's nothing we can do to earn God's grace, to earn God's favor. But then there's a lesson from David who the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And the lesson for us is that, you know what? God is still looking for those who have a heart like God's. A heart like God's. Listen, he's still looking for those who have a, a heart for the rejected, a heart for the outcast, a heart for the hurting, and yes, even a heart for the disabled. You know, I'm reminded of, of that time in, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, where it says, As he went along, he saw a man uh, blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he, was, that he was born blind? 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now some background. You need to understand that the rabbis of that day basically taught that suffering was the result of sin. That if you're suffering, it's because there was sin involved. And so they believed a couple things. Number one, they believed that a baby in the womb could sin while it was still in the womb. They said that anytime the baby kicked in the womb, he was sinning, he was rebelling. And God might punish him for that. Or number two, they would say that, 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 that the parents could sin. That maybe mom and dad were involved in some secret sin that no one else knew about but God. But because God knew about their secret sin, God chose to punish them by giving them a handicapped child. That's what the rabbis would teach. And so that's why the disciples are asking, well, who sinned? The baby in the womb or his parents? And notice Jesus' answer. Notice he says, neither. He says, no one sinned. It was done that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now notice, Jesus said that before he healed him. Now listen, you know, I mean, when we read a passage like this, it's easy for us to think that, that it's talking about how, how, how God's glory is displayed because Jesus healed him. You know, and, 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 and sometimes God chooses to heal and it's glorious. But you know what? Many, many, many more times God chooses for whatever reason not to heal. But notice what he said. He, he said, it was done. What was done? It was done. What? He's talking about his, his disability, his blindness. The disability was done. The blindness was done. It was done that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Do you know what that's saying? What, what it's saying is, is, is that, listen, God's glory can be displayed in, in, in a disabled person's life just as much as God's glory can be displayed in, in, in an able-bodied person's life. Listen, I mean, I, I know many, many, many people who have various disabilities of all different kinds, and they've never been healed from them, and yet they, they bring God glory. You, know, you think of Johnny Erickson Tata, for example. We have a picture up on the screen. John Erickson Tata was, was paralyzed from the neck down at the age of 17 from a diving accident. And yet, though she's a quadriplegic, she has traveled the world preaching the gospel. She's led hundreds and thousands to Christ. She spoke at conferences and, and on television and on the radio and podcasts. And she's written numerous different books. And, and, and she's definitely a woman who, who believes that you can glorify God in your disability. In fact, not only uh, it, 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 does she suffer from paralysis, but she has battled cancer on more than one occasion. And Johnny Erickson Tata said, quote, the glorious thing is God's strength shows itself stronger in our moments of weakness. And by the way, that is exactly what the Bible says. God said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says, my power shows up best in weak people. Then there's Nick Vujicic. If you don't know, Nick Vujicic was, was born without fully developed limbs. In fact, when he was born, the nurse brought him in to his, to his mom and she refused to hold him because of his condition. And after a while, she, 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 she eventually accepted him and accepted him the way he was. And, and she eventually came to realize that, that God had a plan for her son just the way he was. In fact, it's true. He, he started up a ministry called Life Without Limbs. He has preached, he's traveled the world preaching the gospel. He's led hundreds and thousands to Christ. He, he ministers here and ministers there. In fact, he's learned how to surf. He's learned how to swim. He, he's, he started up a family of his own. And Nick Vujicic on one occasion said, if you can't get a miracle, 
become one. And the truth of the matter is that God, he can display his glory just as much through a disabled person, just as much as he can through an able-bodied person. And so to the weak, to the weary, to the broken, to the lost, to the Mephibosheths of our world, the invitation has gone out to the king's banquet table. The invitation has gone out to sonship, to daughtership, to adoption. It reminds me of the, of the line in the old hymn that says, Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table anytime. He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Listen, if, if you're lost, if you're broken, if you're weary, there's a seat for you at the table of grace. But listen to this, if you already have a seat at the table, if you already are a son or a daughter, then he's called you to find and to reach the lost and the broken. He's called you to find the Mephibosheth in your world and bring them to the table of grace. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've set a table before us, a table of your grace, of your love, and your kindness. And the seats are open, not, not because we, we earned a seat at the table, not because we deserve a seat at the table, but it's for the sake of your son. Because of his sake, we can come to the table of your grace. And Lord, as we come to the table, Lord, help us to bring as many broken and lost with us as we possibly can, because there's a lot of room at the table of grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.